I feel like I need to give you just a little word of explanation before I do what I'm about to do. Uh, There are certain words that you always say when you celebrate the Lord's Supper. The words of institution always get said, right? Those words that Jesus spoke um, when he instituted the Lord's Supper. There are certain prayers that always get prayed in certain ways. Um, But there is also, for the Lord's Supper and the Great Hymnal, there is a long form for a Lord's Supper service. And one thing I've never done is just read that form as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, the reason I've never read that form as a Lord's Supper service is because I'm a bad reader. Uh, that is a fact. I, I'm not good at reading other people's words. Uh, when I'm preaching, those are my words. Uh, and so I can kind of own them and speak them. Uh, but when I'm reading other people's words, I'm not a great reader. It feels kind of stilted and artificial, at least it does to me when I read other people's words. But as I read that liturgy, that form for the Lord's Supper in the Gray Hymnal, I read it over and over and over again this week in preparation for this. And those words are so powerful. Those words are so rich. That's such a blessed heritage that we have. And so I am going to read those words this morning, and I'll try to read them well. Um, But I, I encourage you, Uh, to pay careful attention to these words and to these theological truths and let the Spirit of God press them deeply into your heart as I read these things. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord as they have been handed down by the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11 and starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this As often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. In obedience to these words and in fellowship with the church universal, we now commemorate the death of our Savior in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. However, to do so to our comfort, We must first examine ourselves as the Apostle has admonished. Let all of us, therefore, consider our sin and guilt. God's anger against sin is so great that he has punished it in his beloved Son with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. And let us examine whether our hearts accordingly are filled with that godly grief which produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Let us also search our hearts to see whether we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our only Savior and accept God's gracious promise that for the sake of the passion and death of Christ, all our sins are now forgiven and we are clothed with the perfect righteousness of the Son of God. 
And finally, let us examine our consciences to see whether we resolve sincerely and gratefully to serve Jesus Christ as Lord and to live by his commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. As we thus examine ourselves, let us be assured that God will certainly receive in grace and welcome to the table of his Son all those who repent and walk in faith. However, the Lord admonishes those who do not believe or have not repented to abstain from the Holy Supper so as not to eat and drink judgment on themselves. Therefore, we also charge those who willfully continue in their sins to keep themselves from the table of the Lord. To all such, we say in the name of the Lord that as long as they remain unrepentant and unbelieving, they have no part in the kingdom of God. However, this solemn warning is not intended, beloved, to discourage the contrite believer, for we do not come to this supper claiming any merit in ourselves. On the contrary, we come testifying that we seek our salvation apart from ourselves in Jesus Christ. By this testimony, we humbly confess that we are full of sin and worthy of death. By this testimony, we also confess that we believe the sure promise of God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This promise assures us that no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can hinder us from being received by God in grace at His table as worthy partakers of this holy food and drink. Thus assured, let us come with quiet conscience and fullness of faith to keep this sacramental feast which our Lord appointed to be a continual memorial of his atoning death until he comes again. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, by whose law all are tried and by whose gospel we have hope, we, your servants, look to you for help in examining ourselves. In your grace, you invite us to the table of your Son. We confess that we have sinned. Have compassion on us in our weakness. Enable us in the light of your holy word to read the secrets of our own hearts and to recognize the fruits of your work of grace within. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit so that we may obediently respond to your call in sincere repentance and true faith. Graciously remove whatever in us might keep us from your table. Let no love of sin or untruth, no pride or lust, no hatred or envy toward our neighbor, no remnant of unbelief remain within us to keep us from responding gladly. By your Spirit, assemble us at the appointed hour to commemorate in an unbroken bond of Christian fellowship the atoning death of our Savior. Hear us, we pray, in the name of our ever-living intercessor, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, belong all praise and glory. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the, in the night in which he was delivered up to be crucified, the Lord Jesus instituted the sacrament 
of Holy Communion, saying, do this in remembrance of me. In obedience to that command, we now celebrate the memorial feast. We therefore invite all of you who have confessed your Lord and who have truly examined yourselves as the Apostle Paul commanded to come in repentance and in assurance of faith to commune with Christ in this Holy Supper. As we draw near, let us acknowledge that the Lord has instituted his supper so that by it we may remember him and he may nourish and refresh us for eternal life. To observe this Holy Supper in remembrance of Him is to proclaim our Lord's death until He comes again. In partaking of this supper, therefore, we remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior promised to the fathers in the Old Testament, that He is the eternal and only begotten Son of God, that He assumed our human nature in which He fulfilled for us all obedience and the righteousness of God's law, and that he bore for us the wrath of God under which we should have perished forever. We remember that he was bound that we might be loosed from our sins, that he was innocently condemned to death that we might be acquitted to the judgment seat of God, that he became a curse for us to fill us with his blessing, that he humbled himself on the cross to hell's deep agony which wrung from him the cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that God might never forsake us? We remember also that he was buried to sanctify the grave for us, and that he was raised for our justification, and that he is exalted at God's right hand, and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we remember that the shedding of his blood has confirmed for us the new an eternal testament, the covenant of grace. Through this supper, Jesus Christ assures us that he will truly nourish and refresh us with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life. He promises this in the institution to this supper, saying of the bread, this is my body, and of the wine, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And with these words, our Lord directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross as the only ground for our salvation. He also assures us that by his death, he has taken away our sin, the cause of our eternal death, and has obtained for us the life-giving Spirit. By the Spirit who dwells in Christ as in the head and in us as his members, he brings us into true communion with himself and makes us partakers of all his riches of eternal life, righteousness, and glory. By this same spirit, he causes us, together with all true believers, to be united as members of one body. As the Holy Apostle says, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And as it is said to us, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are assured by this Holy Supper that our Lord Jesus will come again to receive us to himself and that we shall sit down with him and drink with him the fruit of the vine in the newness of our Father's kingdom. All right, all of, all of those words I read are true and biblical and good. 
All of those words were written by someone else. And say a few words that I wrote, and then we're going to celebrate this meal together. As we, just by way of a brief meditation, as we partake of these elements of the Lord's Supper, I want to read the first four lines of a poem. The poem's called The Second Coming. It was written by W.B. Yeats. Here's the four lines. It says, turning and turning in widening gyre. A gyre like kind of a big corkscrew. Big circles, right? Turning and turning in widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Okay, the, the, the poem goes on from there, but I just want to think about that image that Yeats writes. A falcon, a falcon is a domesticated, trained bird, right? And the person who tames it and trains it is the falconer, right? And every falcon is supposed to obey the rule of the master who trained him. The bird, the falconer is wearing a glove, and the bird perches on the glove, and then the, the bird takes off, flying in these big circles, higher and higher, but it is not supposed to keep flying in circles forever. Eventually, it's supposed to come back and land back on the falconer's glove again. But in the poem, wider and wider the circles get. Further and further the falcon goes from the falconer. And the falcon ends up going so high that he can no longer hear the falconer. And the image is a metaphor and the metaphor is saying that there, there's a danger that we humans, we falcons, need to be careful that we don't go so far in our circles, in our flying, that we drift away from our Creator and we get to a place where we can no longer hear His instructions. We can no longer obey His instructions if we can't hear them. And when that happens, according to the poem, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Right? The center around which the falcon is flying will come loose if the falcon goes too far. Anarchy is loosed on the world. You see, our flight path is supposed to center around the Lord and His holy scriptures. But when we get out of range of that, the center doesn't hold. The center cannot hold. Our circles, they become oblong and chaotic, and, and we lose control when we lose sight of God. So celebrating the Lord's Supper serves to reorient us to the voice of the Master, the great falconer who's trained us to listen and obey and orient our lives around Him. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of history. And we reorient ourselves to that centerpiece when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we come to the table. In the, in the words that Jesus spoke when instituting the Lord's Supper, he indicated that this meal is the anchor. This meal is the fixed point around which we orbit. This meal and what it represents is what gives meaning, not only to our lives, but to all of history. He said when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, do this, right? Which is a now kind of a thing, right? Be present in this moment, right now, do this. But then he used the past tense 
He said, do this now in remembrance of me, which means as we do this now, we're looking back to a historical past and we are remembering the perfect life of love and obedience that Christ lived and the perfect spotless sacrifice of himself that he offered on our behalf. That gives meaning to the past. And then he turns his eyes forward to the future and says, until I return. Do this now in this moment in remembrance of me and what I have done in the past until I return in the future. Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of all history. He is the truth around which we orient our lives. And so once again, we come to the table of our Lord and we're reminded that all of our lives and all of history orbits around Christ, who is the centerpiece of history and who is worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. Let's pray together. Merciful God and Father, whose grace abounds beyond all our sins, we pray that in this supper in which we commemorate the death of your dear Son, you will so work in our hearts that we may yield ourselves ever more fully to Jesus Christ. May our contrite hearts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be nourished and refreshed with his body and blood, with him, true God and man, the only heavenly bread, so that we may no longer live in our sins, but he in us and we in him. Confirm in us the covenant of grace, we pray, so that we may not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, no more imputing our sins to us and abundantly providing us with all things necessary for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. And grant us your grace that we may cheerfully take up our cross, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all temptations and trials, expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, who at his coming will make our mortal bodies like his glorified body and take us to himself in eternity. Answer us, O God, and merciful Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, belong all praise and adoration now and evermore. Amen.